Jiu Witches podcast. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has followed and subscribed already. It means so much to me. I don't like long preambles and when I listen, so we'll just dive in. Um, I want to start out by saying that you can find most of, if not all, what I'm about to say in my blog post, Witch History, Jews, and the Witch Craze, which I have updated and made a correction in, so you can go read it if you'd like. You can also find all my sources there, which I will again cite at the end of this podcast. I do also want to put a content warning. There will be discussions of violence, intense anti-Semitism, murder, and bestiality. There will also be just generalized witch craze violence. I won't be going into too much detail into those things because one, I don't want to have to say it, and two, I don't want you to have to hear it. But there are some things that are just unavoidable when talking about this history. So with all of that out of the way, let's get started. We have all heard the term, I am the daughter of the witches they couldn't burn, or something along those lines. And I'm not saying it's always bothered me because it didn't always bug me that much. But once I learned, I could not hear it the same way. And a couple of years ago, I tweeted how I wasn't the daughter of the witches they couldn't burn, but I was the daughter of the Jews they couldn't burn. Some people thought this was a reference to the Holocaust, but it wasn't at all. It was a reference to the actual witch craze of Europe when witches were burned at the stake. We have, in general, and I'm not talking to you, random person who was obsessively studying this in middle school, I'm talking about the general public and most of the witchy and spiritual communities, we have an extremely whitewashed, Christianized, and also Wiccanized perspective of the witch craze, which I think is a shame because in the end it contributes to the misinformation that allows anti-Semitism, especially in witchy and spiritual circles, to run wild. When I first dipped my toes into the online witch community, despite growing up surrounded by spirituality of all forms, I was disappointed, but not entirely surprised by the anti-Semitism that stirred there. What struck me most was the complete irony of white witches screaming about oppression and about the witch craze while having a complete lack of education on the history of anti-Semitism and witchcraft, especially when they used things like the persecution of witches as a shield for their bigotry. What so many modern witches fail to realize is how much of the history they so frequently reference is intertwined with anti-Semitism and the hatred of Jews, particularly Jewish women. So before we can get into that, we have to do a quick history on the witch craze. The witch craze of Europe spanned from the 14th century until around 1650, during which continental Europe executed quote-unquote witches, 85% or more of whom were women. The number of victims is estimated to span between 12,000 and 500,000 at the highest estimates. Scholar N. Ben Yehuda claims that it's between 200 and 500,000, while others like Dr. Anne Llewellyn Barstow estimate around 100 deaths by execution. Now, that's a massive gap from 12,000 to 500,000. Um, and I did quite a bit of reading, but it came up with lots of contradictory points. And as I'm not a historian qualified to make any sort of claim, I'm just going to go with a lot of people were murdered. I am so excited for today's episode. This is one of the episodes that I've been planning since before I was even really planning to have a podcast. I was like, if I ever have a podcast, this is going to be one of the episodes. So I'm very, very excited. I don't have a specific content warning for, that's the best I can do, unfortunately, um, other than it's very intense. Before this period, witchcraft was regarded as a routine, day-to-day, -day, almost personal technology. And until the 14th century, witches were classified as good or bad, depending on the objective of their magic. 
It is also important to note that this was often in theory. People didn't go around labeling themselves as witches during the period. Germany was the worst offender in regards to the death toll, um, with other continental European states trailing behind them. The radical changes in belief from witch being a personal thing or a tool to being something with a death sentence was aided in no small way by the association with witches and Judaism. Things that were used to identify witches were common within Judaism and Jewish communities, leading scholars to understand that the Renaissance constructions of witchcraft owed much to the 15th century typological construction of Jewish quote-unquote heresy and the nature of persecution. In 1487, the Maleos Maleficarum was published by the Catholic clergyman Heinrich Kramer and one other guy, but Kramer's kind of the more important of the duo. No offense to this other guy in Speyer, Germany. Translated to the Witch's Hammer, this was the most influential and widely used handbook on witchcraft and was a guide to finding, discerning, and exterminating witches. According to Christopher S. McKay, author of The Hammer of the Witches, this document was based in an earlier text, Maleus Judirum, or The Hammer of the Jews, written by John of Frankfurt in about 1420, and we'll discuss that in depth a little bit later. Yvonne Owens, the author of the Saturnine History of Jews and Witches, goes as far as to theorize that the prosecution of witches was stylistically rooted in the earlier persecution of Jews. So before we can actually talk about the witch craze in more depth than that, we have to understand the hatred of Jews during the period and how it manifested. The Christian notion of the relationship between the Jews and the devil is a perpetual curse afflicting Jews and distinguishing them from Gentiles, and it has its origins firmly in the New Testament, mainly Matthew 27, to 20, uh, 27, 24 to 25, his blood is on us and our children, and John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil. The medieval period witnessed uh, what Joshua Trachenberg accurately described in 1943 as the normalization of the representation of the Jew as an alien, evil, antisocial, and anti-human creature, essentially subhuman, a demonic Jew who was born from the combination of cultural and historical factors peculiar to Eastern Europe in the later Middle Ages. Collectively, the Jews, because we were all the same, became a physically repulsive and disgust-inducing other, much of this iconography would go on to be the very same imagery that we now associate with witches. The iconographic representation of Jews with elongated noses only appeared gradually later in the medieval period. The recent research of Sarah Lipton has noted the absence of anti-Semitic iconography in depictions of Jews until the 13th century. According to Lipton, the first explicitly anti-Jewish character can be dated back to 1233 and appears in a doodle in the upper right margin of the ink of an English exchequer tax receipt. However, this was not a widely published document, which means that it probably spread another way, or it definitely spread another way. This was also a pre-printing press, which wouldn't become commercially available until about 1450, as far as I know. So we know that these images were not being widely distributed from one single source, but rather they were popular everywhere. However, it is also noted that there's a small lull in the creation of these anti-Semitic images because according to Thomas A. Brady Jr., the needed need for caricatured noses was presumably less if Jews could be visibly distinguished by paintings and illuminations by means of symbols such as yellow circles worn on their clothing or distinctive headgear like the Jewish hat that many were compelled to wear in parts of Europe 
especially in the Holy Roman Empire, described as the Judenhut in German or the Pilis Cornets in Latin. Latin is not my language, y'all. I sincerely apologize to anyone who spent years studying Latin or anyone who knows even anything about Latin because I'm sure my pronunciation will just be a real bummer to you. So, Jews were very often forced to wear clothing identifying them across Europe, whether it be circles of a specific color, armbands, specific hats. There's even a theory that the stramel loved by certain Haredi communities is a result of being forced to wear a specific hat. Um, Belts or other identifying items, Jews were forced to expressly label themselves as Jews. In fact, in Hungary, when a person was found guilty guilty of witchcraft as a first offense, their punishment was to be required to stand all day in public dressed in the clothes of a Jew. To be seen as a Jew in public was the literal punishment for the crime of witchcraft. Which I need, we all need a moment to process that. Now, despite the fact that Jews ritually bathe and wash ourselves daily, while Christians did not at the time, the notion that Jews, both male and female, possessed a repulsive smell, that posedly distinctively Jewish stench, known as photar eudicus? Oh man, Latin is really hard. Anyway, it was extremely common. It was so common that the Franciscan preacher Bertold of Regensburg, uh, 1220-1272, scolded his Christian listeners for their poor religious observance by noting that now you see very well that a stinking goatish Jew whose odor is offensive to all honors his holy days better than you. Bah, as a Christian, you should be ashamed of yourself. You do not trust in God as much as the stinking Jew. Now, as funny as that was to read and horrifying, why mention it? Well, because the stench that was associated with the goat and the pig, which, mind you, is ironic because pigs are not kosher. Anyway, the associations of the horned goat became associated with the devil as early as 446, where the church council in Toledo, Spain, described the devil as a creature with animal attributes, including horns, cloven feet, and a sulfurous smell. Jews were also frequently portrayed riding or with those animals. There's even a certain term for a portrayal called the um, Das Judensau, the Jews' sow, which features Jews riding female pigs, suckling from their udders, kissing the animal's anus, or eating their feces. Mm, even reading that out loud was difficult. Oh, and these were not fringe theories. From the 14th century on, they were extremely popular, especially as carved wooden blocks, as imagery. There are even carvings at the Church of Wigenberg and the choir stalls of the Köln Cathedral featuring this imagery. That's how widespread and common and popular it was. And so we see this distinct association of Jews with the devil. But there was another perspective, which is written about extensively in Yvonne Owen's The Saturnine History of Jews and Witches. St. Augustine, a Catholic saint, is heavily attributed to this. He asserted that Saturn was the god of the Jews, which is backed by a 10th century treatise by Alcabitius. Alcabitius? Man, these names are really getting me right now. Um, which claims that Saturn is for the faith of Judaism. Essentially, they believe Jews worshipped Saturn. When the witch craze began, the association of melancholic, disaffected women with cannibalistic Saturn, the planetary deity with whom the affliction of melancholic humor was attributed in elite discourses, 
may have intensified official persecution of witches, and the same baleful planetary affliction was associated with Jewishness through a number of tropes, including harmful humorial theories and theological depictions of Jews' mordant or putrid blood. To the late medieval perspective, the Jews' cannibalistic tendencies arose from a craving for the salvic benefits to be gained through consuming Christian blood. Indeed, only Jews and witches were considered capable of the atrocities of cannibalistic infanticide, and only the planetary deity who would condone it would be Saturn. Um, there's a whole other aspect of Saturn that li that is linked to Jews as well as witchcraft. And I want to preface this by noting that in this section, um, I'm going to be reading a lot of quotes like I have been, and they are referring in these sections to cis men and cisgender women. Um, the people who wrote this did not make the distinction, nor is the distinction to commonly talk about the time, but what they are referencing is cisgender men, Jewish male menstruation, or that Jewish cisgender men suffered from periods and bloody outbreaks of hemorrhoids was their proof that we were in league with the devil. Caesarius of Heistabach, 1180-1240, offered that Jews suffered from a, quote, bloody flux on Good Friday as punishment for the crucifixion of Christ. Thomas of Cantimper, 1201-1272, believed that this was the fulfillment of the chapter of Matthew that we talked about earlier, and that only accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior could stop their menstruation. To quote, both Jewish women and men, like witches, were associated with menstruation, and the benighted, melancholic influences of Saturn implied both spiritual pollution and the witting commission of maleficum, witchcraft or sorcery. Jewish men were supposedly inherently guilty of witchcraft due to their purported contamination by the, quote, pollution of passive feminine reproductive physiology, and were popularly feminized by associating with the dark, melancholic blood and menstruation. We're going to read some Latin again, so let's all prepare ourselves. In de secretis mulierum. Oh, I'm going to hope for the best with that one. The commentator reminds the reader that the term menses is understood to refer to the natural menses, such as the menstrual periods of cisgender women. The supernatural menses, such as the Jews experience, is that way against nature. Again, this was a frighteningly common belief. This is not some fringe theory. This was widely and commonly accepted. Nuremberg had been a center of anti-Semitic activity since the local merchants sought the expulsion of Jewish moneylenders to whom they were in debt in 1499. Treaties detailing the evils of the Jewish character, physiological nature, and quote, woman-like laziness, vagrancy, and quote, menstrual pollution, found supportive foundations in Nuremberg's publishing industry. They literally tried to use their belief that Jewish cisgender men menstruated as proof that they should expel the Jews in order to not have to pay back debts. Pete Biller has edited and translated another manuscript from around the time of the, the turn of the 14th century um, by either Henry the German or Henry of Brussels, discussing the, quote, miracle of God, whereby Jewish men are stricken with the, quote, curse of Eve. Drew's natural timidity is again rehearsed in this text as a contingent property of melancholics. The, quote, black and putrid blood of Jews also served as a comparison to the typically, quote, venomous blood of normally compuscent, disobedient females in blood discourses. So this, of course, serves a multitude of purposes. Also, I just need to take a second because reading that out loud, horrible. I 
I wrote this, I researched this, and yet still having to read it out loud, to me, feels a bit bonkers. Just wanted to acknowledge that. So this served a multitude of purposes. It demonizes Jews of all kind. Menstruation was associated with women, and thereby any association of men with the experiences of their perception of womanhood made the man lesser, evil, even demonic. To quote, in a Christian society and warlike culture that placed a premium on military prowess and valor, the idea of periodic bleeding by Jewish men, um, making them to women, menstruation evidently feminized the Jew, rendering him even more ennoble and worthy of of contempt. This is a beautiful added layer of misogyny. On a more magical note, um, menstrual blood was also suspected in manipulative cases of love magic. The church believed it was practiced by Jews and, quote, straying Gentile women. This indicates that it was the Jews who started and carried the practice with only a few, quote, wandering Christians taking it up. And so let's carry on with the theme of blood since we're on the topic. I mean, we already mentioned a little bit, but let's talk about blood libel because they do intersect. But in the shortest possible description, though, actually, I think I could do probably do an episode on it at some point. So let me know if you'd be interested in a deep dive at some point. Blood libel is essentially the belief that Jews murder Christians, particularly Christian children and babies, to use their blood in rituals or to eat or to drink their blood. Over the years, it has evolved to include non-Jews, but the original understanding of blood libel was that Jews need the blood of Christian children for our demonic or satanic rituals, including making matzah for Passover, which, short tangent, we're on them a lot, makes no bloody sense. Forgive, forgive the pun. Um, but matzah are literally crackers of flour and water. If you add blood, they would be at least a little bit reddish brown, because it's flour and water. If you add blood in there, you're gonna you're gonna see a different color change. And also, which if you're making them over a fire, as I'm assuming they did at the time, they'd just have little burnt bits on the side, and you could totally see what goes into them. This is just a lack of common sense. Sorry, we. We can move on, but I want to just say that I think it's ridiculous. Uh, It was also believed that Jews needed the blood of Christians to make magical remedies. In 1494, the blood of a Christian was purportedly deemed an effective remedy for male or female Jews suffering from menstruation. So Christian blood could cure Jews of their demonic menstruation. Um, In Endogen in 1470, the Jew Merklin, quote unquote, confessed, under torture, that Jews needed Christian blood because of its great healing power. So we see a nice intersection of the blood libel and the Jewish cisgender men menstruating um, right at that crossroads. You need, you need to kill Christians to take the Christian blood to cure us of the menstruation. So to sum it up, It was believed that the Jews were not normal human beings, but monstrous, bloodthirsty creatures working secretly and tirelessly in league with their lord, the devil, and his other minions. Despite the small numbers, these pitiless Jews threatened not only the church, but also the life of every single Christian man, woman, and child. These fantasies stripped Jews of any individual identity, and the Jews became a malignant, satanic collective residing within Christian society, consumed by Christian by hatred of Christians, enacting iconoclastic sacrilege and sometimes even ritual murder. Now, literature did not often record the murder of Jews as the result of witchcraft because to be a Jew was a crime enough in their eyes. 
Though we should not disregard that while Jewish men were often accused and killed because they were associated with witchcraft, women were doubly in danger. Not only were they women, but they were Jews. Thomas A. Brady Jr. defines witches as practitioners of a counter-Christian religion of devil worship at the time, but also acknowledges that this was a largely fabricated concept, just like the witch cult. In reality, witches were perceived as antithetical to the church, to the practice of black magic and devil worship. The importance is the perception. If two women were caught doing the exact same thing, let's just say, for example, being out really late on a Friday night, they could both be accused of witchcraft, but the Christian one would be branded as a witch, while the Jew didn't necessarily need the extra label. To be a Jew was to be demonic enough as it was. It was just in the Jewish woman's nature, while the Christian woman had to be turned away from the church to witchcraft. That is in part why you see a distinction between Jews and witches in the literature. When they say witch, they very often mean Christian woman. The added label of witch didn't need to be given to Jews because Christians were happy to burn us for what we were because of Judaism. Though that's not to say that Jews weren't ever labeled as witches. It's just you will often see Jews excluded from the general discussion and literature regarding the witch craze, and it'll be put into discussions of anti-Semitism at the time. Because mind you, this is also the time of inquisitions, massive pogroms, and tons of anti-Semitism across Europe. We were dealing with a lot. So what of the actual witches, right? Well, there is very little, if any, evidence that those Christians who were killed as witches were anything but practicing Christians. In towns where Jews had already been killed off or driven out, that societal rage that had previously went to the persecution of Jews had to be turned inward, with the most popular scapegoat gone, and assuming there were no other minorities like Romani people around, Christian women were next in line. Dr. Anne Llewellyn Barstow, author of Witch Craze, said it best. The witches, unlike the Jews, saw themselves as Christians, as insiders in the Christian realm. In order to prosecute for witchcraft, European society had to turn against its own. So what did Jews and these people branded as witches have in common? As according to Barstow, for the most part, witches and Jews were persecuted interchangeably. Both witches and Jews were perceived traitors to Christian society who must be eradicated. This is a longer quote from their book, uh, Witch Craze. Women as a gender group suffered a special liability in that they had begun to be identified with Jews. Both groups suffered from being associated with magical practices, making potions and poisons, wearing amulets, possessing the evil eye, sticking pins in dolls, having abnormal knowledge about dreams, fortune-telling, or the magic properties of gems. Rumors circulated about their bodies that Jewish cis men menstruated because they were uncircumcised. Witches bore the devil's mark. They could both turn themselves into animals, that Jewish women practiced bestiality and produced animal babies, and that witches had sex with the devil and gave birth to demons. Both were widely believed to cause the storms and plagues. An especially damaging belief upheld against Jews was that they celebrated a travesty of the Christian mass in which they worshipped the devil, requiring for communion either the bodies of Christians or their own sperm. These allegations against Jews became the Sabbath of the witches, often referred to as a witch's synagogue, but it made even worse by the claim by which that they had sex with Satan, and the Jewish synagogue, in turn, was referred to as a brothel. So, this is an excerpt from Barstow's book. We should also look into the witch's Sabbath, because here we find a great example 
of Wiccanized history and how this changing of history has impacted the way our communities talk about it now. So the Witches' Sabbath, we have to look at the term as a whole first. The Jewish Shabbat, also known in English as the Sabbath, was antithetical to Christianity and was therefore demonized. It was a well-known thought that contrary to the day when Christians meet to pray, Sunday morning, the devil and his legions prefer the night between Friday and Saturday. So in Judaism, Shabbat starts at sundown on Friday night and ends after sundown on Saturday night. Um, So essentially what they're saying is the Jewish Sabbath was when the devil came out to play. It was claimed in multiple texts that while Christians took the body of Christ on their Sabbath, on Shabbat, Jews ate the bodies of Christian infants, which weird. Um, Now, witches' Sabbath were thought to include host desecration, diabolical orgies, infanticide, and cannibalism. Um, These were derived from pre-existing myths and stereotypes associated with religious groups outside of Christianity, such as Jews and heretics. The Hebrew Shabbat became Sabbat in German, and when it was combined with the German word for witch, it became Hexenzabbat, Hex, witch, hexen, witches, zabbat, sabbath. So hexen, zabbat. According to all information that I could find, the use of the English term witches' sabbath was not used until the 19th century. The modern witches' sabbath, as celebrated by Wiccans, were inspired by the term hexen, zabbat mentioned during the period. Gerald Gardner, the founder of Wicca, chose to instead use this term as a reference to the celebration of the Wheel of the Year as opposed to any other meeting. Now, we see the term Sabbat most commonly used within modern witchcraft communities. Um, Essentially, he heard Hexen Zabbat and said, oh my God, I love it. I'm going to lop off the Hexen and I'm just going to keep the Zabbat, Sabbat, Sabbat in English. Um, When I posted a TikTok telling people about that, it blew their minds. People who are self-proclaimed Wiccans were telling me they had no clue. They'd never heard of that before. Even though Gerald Gardner mentions it in his own book. So yeah, people have also asked, is Sabbat appropriative? I wouldn't say it's appropriative, but the term comes from an anti-Semitic belief about Jewish rituals that was then put onto essentially fictive witches. During the same period, the use of the word synagogue and its translations were heavily used in regards to witches. French author Nicolas Jacquier applied the term synagogum fasciniorum to what he considered gatherings of witches. No one make fun of my Latin. I'm getting real insecure while recording this. The use of the terms synagogum and synagoga were frequently used by francophones during the period. The same charges that were levied against heretics and witches were also raised against the Jewish community. These charges include, but were not exclusive to, a pact with Satan, secret late night rides to nocturnal meetings that later, through anti-Jewish and anti-heretic polemic, became the witches' Sabbath. Diabolical traditions practiced at the Sabbath or Sabbath, such as orgies, host desecration, infanticide, and cannibalism were allegedly witch, heretic, or Jewish, quote, traditions. The witch's Sabbath was a huge part of the Malios Maleficarum, which I promise we talk about again, and so here we are. Kramer, one of the authors, was directly involved in the trial of Jews at Turin in 1475, and must have been greatly influenced by the style of both the institutional procedure and its handbook. Again, um, the Maleos Judeorum. For those concerned with the discourses fueling witch hunting in the wake of the Maleos Maleficarum's pub- published editions after 8- 1486, 
The connections between feminine pollution, I think they're talking about menstruation, witchcraft, and Jewish apostasy would have been readily apparent. So what we're hearing here, the book that was used to hunt witches was literally based on a book on how to hunt Jews, not just in its style and formatting and the procedures, in the content itself was literally created based on a book on how to persecute and prosecute Jews. So later, the Malios Maleficarum would go on to America where it would be used in the infamous Salem witch, uh, witch trials. Now, people often mistake when I talk about the witch craze for the Salem witch cra- uh, trials. No witches were burned in Salem. Yes, it is an absolute travesty that 25 people lost their lives though none of them were burned. Like we said at the beginning, there is a huge dedication to the saying, you know, we are the daughters of the witches you couldn't burn. Because in so many pagan, neo-pagan witchcraft communities, there is a genuine belief that the witches that were persecuted during the witch craze and in Salem were actual witches and that they were the sole intended victims of the witch craze. I also want to acknowledge, before we dive into the Wiccanized history here, that obviously misogyny played a huge role in the witch craze. Because this whole episode is dedicated specifically to the role of anti-Semitism in the witch craze and the impact of the witch craze on Jews, I don't dedicate much time talking to anything other than anti-Semitism. But that is not to say that anti-Semitism was the only factor behind the witch craze. Anti-Romani racism, misogyny, Uh, racism in general, xenophobia and classism, also Islamophobia, were other huge factors in the witch craze. And I don't want to misconstrue it as if they weren't or pretend that anti-Semitism was the only thing that led up to it. Um, I'm specifically talking about this one aspect. That is not to say that there aren't other important aspects. That being said, let's talk about how modern witches talk about it. In her book, the Rebirth of Witchcraft. Priestess of Wicca, Doreen Valiente, details a pamphlet written by Gerald Gardner, the founder of Wicca, which claimed that the, witch, the victims of the witch persecutions in Western Europe, total numbers have been estimated at 9 million. Now, while we started off this episode by acknowledging that there are, dis, there are disparities in evidence for the amount of deaths of the witch craze, the highest estimate from a credible source that I could find was 500,000. So how on earth is Gerald Gardner pulling up 9 million? We have to go a bit further back to understand this context. According to Valiente, in 1921, an Egyptologist who was interested in witchcraft, Margaret Alice Murray of University College London, published a book called The Witch Cult in Western Europe. She said that someone had suggested to her that witchcraft was, and I quote, really the remains of a pre-Christian religion concerning fertility. Now, apparently there were others who had spoken of this book for her, including publishing things on it. So the chance of someone mentioning it to her is lower than her just reading about it from other people. But it was she, according to Valiente, who inspired Gardner. So why does it matter? Why is it applicable to talking about the witch craze? Because the witch cult theory believed that the witch craze of Europe and the persecution of witches was actually an attempt to suppress and stamp out this pre-Christian religion of witches. Despite the fact that this theory died academically the same year as Gardner, by 1964, the theory was officially debunked. 
And though academics had engaged with Murray's work um, and it had been interacted with by in many academic settings, it was entirely debunked. They looked into it and found that it wasn't true. Simple as that. But that didn't stop Wicca from carrying it on. Because Wicca believes itself to be the receivers of the tradition of the witch cult, which again, it's been debunked. And because they believe that they are the receivers of that pre-Christian tradition that somehow survived and made its way to Gerald Gardner, they also carry on the idea that the persecution of witches was really the persecution of would-be Wiccans, which is about as ridiculous as saying that the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem was actually an anti-Christian hate crime because some Jews would eventually become Christians. But as ridiculous as it is to us, it's enough for a lot of Wiccans. Now, I'm not going to say that all Wiccans believe this because there are some that reject witch cult theory, um, but quite a few accept it. And as an even bigger issue, Wicca has become the standard. It is what most witchcraft is filtered through. And when I say that, I mean most works on witchcraft, books, websites, movies, YouTube videos, pamphlets, instructions, Pinterest posts, Tumblr posts. Unless there's a other specific path or tradition being followed, if you buy a book on witchcraft, chances are it's been tainted in at least some ways by the Wiccan perspective. I can't tell you how many books I've picked up that have just said magic or witchcraft or folk traditions, and the book is chock full of Wiccan ideology, including saying that the people persecuted during the witch craze were actually self-identifying witches with zero mention of the other factors that went into the witch craze. Like, again, anti-Semitism, racism, specifically against Romani and Muslim people, classism, or any other factor. Also, um, ableism was another huge factor that I don't think I mentioned earlier. Point is, they hold up this standard that the witch craze really was a persecution of witches, and they don't mean witches as in people who were branded witches. They mean witches as in wild hair, dancing in the moonlight under the moon, worshipping a goddess of fertility, making herbs, living in a tiny cottage. That idea of a witch, which, mind you, sounds great, but just not historically accurate. So the framing is ahistorical, but it's the one we see the most, which is kind of why I made this podcast in the first place. Wow. When I wrote the script, I knew it was going to be long, but this is feeling really long. So let's wrap it up um, with a note because I didn't know where else to stick this, um, even though I feel like I had some pretty clear sections. I didn't know where this part went. People often point their finger at the Catholic Church when discussing witch burnings and specifically the witch craze. But we should be honest, Protestants, Catholics, Lutherans, etc., all of, all of them took part. Pointing a finger at one church doesn't really isn't really accurate. And about Martin Luther, who, by the way, was a raging anti-Semite, his views of witches were defined by his theology. He saw witches, like Romani people, Turks and Jews, who were usually mentioned in one breath as accomplices of Satan in his ultimate battle against Christ. I did edit that to remove a racial slur against Romani people. Otherwise, the quote is unedited. It should be noted that his beliefs swayed about and his choices. At some point, he calls for witches to be burned. Other times, he calls for them to be converted. You know just like he did with Jews before he decided he didn't like us. So while it is clear that many non-Jewish people were persecuted and slaughtered as witches, no one is denying that, it would be foolish to pretend that Jews, especially Jewish women, did not suffer from an intertwined fate, with the application of Jewish tropes being used to dis incriminate those who were thought to be witches. Let's talk sources. 
Yvonne Owen, The Saturnian History of Jews and Witches, uh, N. Ben Yehuda, The European Witch Craze of the 14th to 17th Centuries, A Sociologist Perspective, L. Kumanhaga, Imagining the Witch, A Comparison Between 15th Century Witches Within Medieval Christian Thought and the Persecution of Jews and Heretics in the Middle Ages, Gerald Gardner's Witchcraft Today, Nicolas Jacquier's Flagellum, hmm? uh, Thomas A. Brady, An Entropy of Coercion in the Holy Roman Empire, Jews, Heretics, and Witches, Francois Sawyer's The Dehumanization and Demonization of the Medieval Jews, Heinz Schilling, Reformation und Ludwig Hexenbild, uh, and Dorian Valiente, The Rebirth of Witchcraft. Thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to click subscribe or click follow and leave a review if you can. We've shot up on the charts and it's so, so exciting. Reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, are so important. So thankful for you all leaving them. I want to say a special thank you to Emma Mitty for their incredibly kind review. I read all of them. I promise. On that note, y'all, good night.